It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Creativity is an integral part of Karina Gardner's life. She's always loved working with her hands to create beautiful objects. She tries very hard to include beauty in her life, whether with her three children, in her designs, or home. As we visited, Karina mentioned that she's sharing stories that she hasn't shared before, and she's excited for you to hear them. I'm so glad that she shared them with us. Karina, thank you so much for joining me on A Quilter's Life. I am so happy to be here, Paula. I want to start back with where were you born and raised? Well, where I was born and raised are a little bit separate. So I was born in Arkansas, which is a little bit funny. My parents are not from Arkansas, but we were there for a short period of time. But I was really raised in Clarksville, Tennessee. Most people know of it actually as the 101st Airborne. The Army was just over the border in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. And I grew up in Clarksville. And my dad was not in the military. He actually worked for a large air conditioning company in town. But I was there from five until I went to college. So that's what I consider my hometown. Growing up there, did you have a special childhood memory? I think my favorite memory is we had about a half an acre, even though we were in the suburbs. And we moved into this house when I was in seventh grade. And it had a humongous tree in the back. It also had a roundabout where you could drive behind the house. And there was this humongous tree and it always had a monstrous tree swing on it. And I think it was my most favorite thing because we would go out there in the evenings. I live in Utah now, so my kids can't experience this. And that's why it's probably special to me is I would go out with my siblings. I'm, I'm the oldest of six children. And we would go swing on the swing and catch fireflies. That was like our favorite thing was out there catching fireflies. You know, it only ever lasted 30 minutes to an hour and then we'd let them all go. But I know this sort of relates to my childhood when my middle child, I have three kids, Felicity was about seven or eight. I took her back to a wedding in Tennessee and she grew up in Utah. And I realized she had never seen fireflies before. So we were on this big golf course um, next to the Hermitage and I gave her a little jar and she ran out there to catch fireflies and I just loved it. And while I am so grateful that we do not have very many bugs in Utah, that is the one thing that I kind of miss for my kids because catching fireflies was such an event when I was a kid. That's great. So after high school, you went on to college. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. So I ended up going to BYU in Provo, Utah, got my undergrad degree. I met my husband there. And then we both went to get master's degrees at the University of Minnesota. So we moved there with just, we had a computer at the time. This is 20 years ago. So it was a very big computer. So we had a big computer and clothing and that is it. I'm telling stories I've never told before because I'm usually on podcasts talking about design. So 
anybody who's listening to this, who follow me in any other realm, you really are hearing things you've never heard before. So we packed up our car. We're 21 and 23 or something like that. Go to University of Minnesota. We drive there. We only have our clothing. We have a computer and we don't even have a place to live, you know? So we just immediately go to like an apartment place where they like will give you listings. And of course we had no money. We had actually just come back from Mozambique, Africa. We had been the facilitating couple there for a BYU study abroad. And so we were there helping other students. Josh, we were working for an NGO, like helping all these different government agencies. Anyway, so we go to Minnesota and we go into this apartment agency and they start saying, well, what about here? What about here? And we're like, we can't afford that. We can't, we have like no money. Like we have very little in our bank account, like nothing. So finally she shows us a place and we're like, oh yeah, we can do that. We can afford that. And I really think this worker was like, I don't know if I should send them there. But she did. We didn't know the difference. We thought it was fine. Turns out we were kind of in a sketchy part of town. There was gunshots at night. We had no idea. We're just a couple of college students. We didn't figure that out. It took us like six months or so to kind of figure out we were probably not in the best part of town. But we moved in there and we got a couple of chairs from like the thrift store and and that kind of thing. We didn't have a mattress though. We slept on the floor for probably at least... We moved there in August or September. And I think in October, we finally had enough money. We tried to save $300 to get a mattress to sleep on the floor. And here's the crazy thing. Because we had just come from Mozambique, Africa, the carpet in our apartment was more comfortable than the bed we had had in Africa. So we didn't even mind that we were sleeping on the floor. It's all perspective, right? So we started our master's degrees. It took me only a year and a half to finish my master's degree. I finished it rather quickly. Josh continued to work on his. His took about two or three years before he decided to go to law school. And then I went on and finished my PhD there in design. In the meantime, we had two children, got off the floor, no longer were sleeping on the floor. We got a mattress. We were actually tending someone's house and had a great time. We were in Minnesota for six years. And really enjoyed it with the exception of the winters. The winters just about got to me. They could be long. (laughs) Very long. And what employment did you go into after you got your PhD? So I was a professor at the University of Minnesota for a while. So I was doing some freelance work because I had two very small children. I basically, I'd have a degree and then I'd have a baby have a degree, I'd have a baby, you know, 10 days later. So I was always very, very pregnant. So I finished my PhD and I taught at the University of Minnesota. I also taught at the Art Institute at the same time. By that point, I was teaching mostly the juniors packaging design. I had a specialty in typography design. So I used to teach a lot of sophomores. I loved teaching. I actually really enjoyed the research as well. Believe it or not, a PhD in design, depending on the kind of PhD you do, but My PhD in design was actually very research-centric. We did a lot of short-term memory testing on illustrations and photographs and typography to understand how quickly people were able to remember certain things. And so it was actually quite thorough kind of research. And in fact, I think my professors had always really hoped that I would become a professor 
because the research I was doing would have impacted educational psychology. The stuff I was testing would have taken 20 to 30 years to continue to test to see if we could understand more about short-term memory and the way people see and understand logos and illustrations and the way we process it. But here's the thing. I got into design because I liked designing. And so I finished that and I taught a little while, but immediately almost started my company, Karina Gardner Inc., which I own to this day, that's 15 years old now, and started designing and figuring out marketplaces, how to design for the marketplace, and accidentally found my foot in the crafting and sewing world. I never thought I would be in this world. I did sew growing up and I definitely crafted growing up, but I just never thought that it would become a career for me. So how did you get back to Utah? So I finished my doctorate. My husband finished his law degree and he had to take the bar somewhere. So it's like we had to make an instant decision and neither of us had jobs and we didn't know what we were going to do. So we ended up back in Utah because his family was in Utah. And we just thought, well, I mean, we don't know where we're going to go. That last winter, it was January. I looked at my husband and I said, no more. I cannot do this winter thing any longer. And especially, you know, people from the South, not that it doesn't get cold there. It definitely gets cold, but it doesn't snow and snow and snow. And I definitely felt trapped a little bit in the wintertime in our tiny apartment. I just said, we have to move. And I kind of had my eyes on some big cities. I was like, I think it'd be fun to move here or here. And as it turned out, I ended up getting a part-time job in Utah near Josh's family. And we just decided, you know what? This is low hanging fruit. It's easy. So we're just gonna head back there. And so we have now been in Utah for about 12 years, I think now, and raised our kids here and have really, really enjoyed it. It's ended up being this really lovely thing. And I never thought I would be here. I always thought I'd be back in the South. I feel great about it. It's been such a great experience. We have so many good friends here. And of course, my husband's family. And then even one of my sisters ended up moving only about 40 minutes away. So it's worked out really well. Nice. It's great to have family close. Yeah, it is. If you had something you wanted to let your family know, say generations, grandchildren, great-grandchildren in the future, something that you would want them to know about you, what would it be? If I could say something to future generations, this makes me want to cry. I think the world is an interesting place right now, and I suspect it will get even more interesting. When I say interesting, I mean sometimes not so good. I, especially because I have a son and I have two daughters, they're all still young still. But what grandchildren or great-grandchildren or any of them might want to know about me, I think I would just want them to know that that I loved my family so much that I was willing to make any kind of sacrifice for them and that I would do it again every single time. And then I don't know that you asked this, but 
what would I want them to know? I would want them to know that that they are good enough and worthy enough of anything that they want in this life. And that the person they need to always bet on is themselves. That they are strong enough to do whatever they want, no matter how big the dream is. That it's incredibly possible. And especially considering where I've come from, how little I've come from, and how big I've made it a lot in my life, not just with family or finances, but just the things that I've been able to accomplish in my life, that they have the ability to do that and so much more if they're just willing to bet on themselves. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I know that was a hard one. That was a hard one. <laughs> I was just thinking, I'm so glad that you don't actually video record this because if this was on YouTube. <laughs> Besides quilting, are there other crafts that you do or have done in the past? Oh, yes. (laughs) Other than quilting, I think I'm well known on my Karina Gardner brand for all the quilting I like to do. But before quilting, I was an apparel sewer. I love sewing kids clothing. In fact, all my sewing patterns were all kids apparel, like skirts and tops and all of that. I loved that. But I actually was the creative director of a scrapbooking company known as Cartabella. It was the sister company to Echo Park. And so that is probably the thing I might be most well known for. And then I am a designer for Silhouette. So I love building 3D things, lots of 3D paper crafts. I do a lot of vinyl projects. So crafting in general, I really like it. I love to make a banner. I love to make a gingerbread house. Like if I'm making it with my hands, I love it. I got to look at some of your stuff and it's amazing. Oh, thank you. Are there other hobbies that you have? I am an avid traveler. I love traveling. That's probably why I married my husband. He is a big traveler as well. You've heard me say that we spent some time in Mozambique. We love to go overseas as much as we can. Doesn't always happen, but I love experiencing new places. I think it's really good for my creative mojo to see other cultures, see other things. And I just love the experience of trying new foods and feeling a different culture. And I love it so much. We've been so many wonderful places, Brazil, Barcelona. I just took my oldest daughter last year to Paris. I love Italy. I've been there a few times so, so much. I used to go to Hong Kong to do press checks and into China for one of my other companies, Minilu. My mother is actually Chinese. And so when I was little, we went to Malaysia, which is where she is from. She's from a little place outside of Kuala Lumpur called Ipu. And I haven't been back since. So it's on my bucket list to head back. I'm friends with some of my cousins online, but it's so strange because I grew up here and they grew up there and it's just two totally different worlds. So super duper fascinating. We just love to travel. My husband speaks five languages, so it really helps to have someone who speaks a lot of languages. 
That's amazing. I struggle with one. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think any of these hobbies show up in your quilting? Now, that's an interesting question. I don't know that it does. I think actually the hobbies don't show up. It's more of like the personal life. Like a lot of times I'll be making a quilt. During COVID, I made a quilt for my youngest son, Charlie, and, you know, put Minky on the back of it. And I made it in a warehouse because we couldn't be around other people. And so I had my warehouse where we're housing all of my stuff for my company, Mini Lou. And it was the only place I could go other than my mother-in-law's house. We were quarantined with my mother-in-law and it was the only place. So like just the vivid memory of making this very huge king size quilt for my very small little boy in a warehouse, concrete floors, bad lighting with mini Lou product all around me. I think a lot of my quilting, when I think about it, it's a lot about the environment I'm in when I'm making it. I remember the first quilt market I ever sewed for. And I was in the house that was previous to the one I'm currently in. And it was a very tiny house. And my studio basically took up the entire house. So that meant that my quilt projects happened on the floor in the kitchen, all over the living room. Things were hung all over sofas. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. And so I always think of that when I'm thinking about the way I quilt because now I've been in the current house I'm in for about three years and it feels like such a luxury because there is a whole table with a sewing machine on it. I've never had that before. There was no table for a sewing machine. It's such a luxury. Like you mentioned, it's perspective. Isn't that great? Yes, it is. So who introduced you to quilting or how did you start quilting? So my mom introduced me to quilting. She's a very little, sweet Chinese lady. And I think it was like for a 4-H project growing up. She said, do you want to do this project? And I said, yes. And it was a little quilt where I hand stitched on these little applique hearts And I think I had nine hearts on it and I hand stitched every single one of them. I think I probably knew in that moment that hand stitching was not for me because I liked the sewing, but I like things to be done efficiently and fast. My mom, on the other hand, loved hand stitching. She would hand stitch all the time if she could. In fact, she hand stitched two big quilts for two of my sisters that took her a year at least. And she didn't mind. For me, that is hell. (laughs) I just do not want to do that. And so I did hand stitch these little hearts. And I remember all through my teenage years, I still kept that quilt up as a wall hanging in my bedroom. And I really loved that quilt. I have no idea where that quilt is at this moment anymore. I'm sure it got thrown away at some point, but it stayed with me even as a teenager I had no idea at that moment that I would end up being a fabric designer, right? Like all the things you would have wished you could have kept. But yeah, the hand stitching part, not for me. It's good that we're not all alike. Yes. (laughs) So whether it's a quilt that you designed or a quilt that someone else even made, do you have a favorite quilt? I don't even know the name of it. 
I have a few eBooks and there is a quilt I did that I always keep in my office because I just love it so much because it is so simple. I think it is from my sweetly stitched quilt ebook. And it's a nine patch. It's like a six inch nine patch. And it has in the middle a white polka dot, or you can use white. So you can see it's almost like a block, you know, but it's all scrappy, you know, all the little blocks that go around. And then the secondary block in it almost looks like it's just going to be a plain block, you know, like a little six inch block. But right in the center is a little diamond. And I love that quilt because it's really, really clean. I like clean quilts. I like to see the patterns and probably because I'm a designer of fabric, but I like to see the fabric itself. I like to see those details. And so even if something is super scrappy, I want to still be able to pick out the little elements that are in those scraps of fabric. And so I think that's why I like that quilt, but also because it still feels really clean, even though it's got all these little elements in it, it's not overwhelming. I can get overwhelmed by a quilt. Like if it's too scrappy, like my eyes, like I just can't see it. So I really want to be able to see the details and then the overall design and I want it to feel harmonious. And that's probably why I like that quilt. Wow. Is there a color palette that that quilt leans toward? This quilt is all blues, pinks, and of all the random things, purples. I think it is the only fabric line. So the fabric line is Posy Garden. I think it is the only fabric line I have ever done with purple in it, which is, I shouldn't even reveal this, but the fabric line I'm working on right now for Riley Blake has purple in it as well. I rarely, rarely work with purple. So it is funny that that is one of the lines I like. It's kind of a deeper plum color with a lighter pink and then more of like a softer robin's egg blue that goes along with it. So I do like the colors because you've got some high contrast there. Thanks for sharing that. And which tool are you so happy that you have when you're working on your quilts? Okay, the tool that probably blew my mind the most, especially when I started quilting and I still appreciate more than anything because I had no idea about it, is the quilter foot on the sewing machine. Because I grew up, you didn't switch the feet, but I always used the half inch because my mom was always making clothing on her sewing machine. So I didn't know, and I'm sure it's because we also couldn't afford it. I had no idea that there was such a thing as like following the foot to like match up your fabric. So you knew how big your seam allowance was. No clue until the very first quilting class I took, which was at my local quilt shop. And when she showed me a quilter's foot, which is a one fourth seam allowance foot, my mind was blown. I was like, I had no idea this existed. No wonder people can sew so cleanly. I was always guessing, like, you know, just, just guessing, like, I don't know how much seam this is. Had no idea. So it's very simple. But for someone who didn't have one, quilter's foot is amazing. I'm just picturing you trying to calculate that amount. It was not pretty. The seams were not that pretty. Now, some people like each step and some people like one step more than the other steps of quilting. Is there a particular step in the process that you like? Well, I definitely can tell you what I don't like, and I do not love cutting. 
I think that lots of quilters do not love the cutting. I understand why I need to cut, but heavens knows it's not my favorite. I really, really like probably the last 30 minutes of a quilt. Can I say that? The last 30 minutes of the quilt, it's just super satisfying. I think that's part of the reason I got into quilting and to fabric design and everything to do with, you know, fabrics, because there's this temporary satisfaction of finishing something that is so pleasant, that feels so good. We can even cut it down to the last 10 minutes. I really love the last little bit of making that quilt because it just feels good. And you see it all coming together. You're pressing it and it just all looks so beautiful. And you feel like you've accomplished something. Yeah. Okay. And for my fun question, what was your worst quilting experience? Okay. This is a funny story. So many of you might know of Kimberbell and Chris Thurgood. Chris owns my girlfriend's quilt shop several years back. It's been several years now. I went to a Riley Blake Designs like retreat and both of them were there. And I can't remember if this was just when Chris had started her shops and Kimberbella was still doing applique. Uh, before this, other than this heart quilt I'm talking about that I did applique on as a kid, I had never touched applique ever again. I am a piecer through and through. I love piecing quilts. I love putting them together. I like the way they all match up and the seams match up. That's my jam. And I signed up for a class that didn't really understand. And Kimberbell was teaching it. And I go to sit next to Kimberbell. And I look at the pattern. And it was like a table runner for Halloween. And I was like, I don't understand this, what you're showing me here. And she was like, well, it's applique, Karina. And I'm like, uh, I don't do applique at all. Like, what are you showing me here? She's like, I promise it'll be great. You're going to love it. Okay. So, so I sit there and I start cutting it out. I'm pretty like, I don't know how this is really going to go. I think when you haven't done something for a very long time or ever really well or ever before, honestly, I, I looked at it and was super confused. Like, wait, these edges are raw. And they're going to be sticking out and people can see them. And I just wanted everything to be clean. And the whole time, the two of them were laughing at me. And I was just like, I don't understand. Like, how do I sew this on and like follow the curve? And won't this like fray and fall apart? And like, no, 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 Karina, it'll look great. It'll be great. I think I finished two of the four or five blocks I was supposed to finish. And then I just gave up. I was like, this is clearly not for me. Like not because it wasn't looking pretty good. They clearly were making it look good because they were helping me, but I just didn't understand it. It was just clearly not for me. I like didn't want all the raw edges off. I wanted everything clean. And that was just my personality, right? But I've never really had a bad quilting experience. It was actually, that was a really funny quilting experience because I think they just were laughing at me because I had no idea what was going on with this whole applique thing. So there you go. Don't ask me to applique. <laughs> so why do you make quilts rather than spend your time doing something else you might want to do? I think quilting is very fun. I think it's relaxing. I love turning on a show and just doing the work. I think it's mindless, which I think anyone who works a full-time job or does something like I do for a living, 
I think the need for a little bit of mindless work is really wonderful. I do like to keep my hands busy. I've always been that person. I do love quilting. I also do it for that last 10 minutes, that satisfaction of finishing something up. And then of course, I think last but not least, I think when you're giving it as a gift. Now, a lot of my quilts don't end up as gifts. A lot of my quilts end up in my, because we're using them for shows, we're using them for quilt markets, we're using them for, you know, one of my books or whatever. So a lot of my quilts don't actually get used except for around the holidays when we're showcasing them. But every now and then I do make a quilt and it goes to my family member or to a friend or I just love that. It feels so satisfying to have this end result. Mm-hmm. Do you have a special quilting project going on right now? So I don't have one quilting project right now. I have lots of quilting projects going on right now. I have a lot of tops that have not been finished. So I either need to send them out or what I like to do is I actually like to machine quilt them myself just on my little sewing machine. I don't have a big machine quilter, but I just haven't gotten around to them. So I'm not allowed to make another quilt until I finish all the tops that I currently have at my house. How does that pile of unfinished quilts make you feel? Busy, because why can't I get around to it? Describe your sewing space. So my sewing space is part of my office and studio. So I have two desks in here and I have another area for all the craft supplies. So one space for the sewing Because I am a designer, I get about 18 bolts a year shipped to my house of whatever my new fabric line is. So my house is filled with fabric. So my studio itself is filled with so much fabric. I have an area that has showcases every line I've ever, ever created. And then I have, I know you can't see it because you're on the podcast, but behind me, I have my newest line, which came out in November called Chow Bella with Riley Blake. My second line to that that came out in 2021 is also in this office called Ava Cape. The rest of the lines are all down in my basement. So we have a room that is our sewing craft room. It actually is an area for my kids have computers and stuff in that room, but it's got a huge wall of just fabric. So if I need a project to be done or kids in the neighborhood have a project to be done, nobody goes to the store. Everyone just comes to my house because there's a pretty good chance I have it. I did Riley Blake back in the day. I did their black and white lines. I have done Halloween lines. I did 18 inch doll panels. So I have a pretty good spread of colors and fabrics available just in this house. Wow. Share a quilting tip. All right. My tip is for people who are perfectionists because I am not a perfectionist quilter. Once in a while, I will mess up all my seams. Like, you know, they're all supposed to be pretty and tidy in the corners. And sometimes I'm just like in a hurry and I will like just so, 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 and just mess up those seams. And I am going to say done is better than perfect. Do not stress out about it. Just finish the darn quilt. Great tip. If you could describe to us how you started in your own business, you went from working at the university to starting your own business. How did that come about? 
I actually started in digital scrapbooking. So I had a friend tell me about digital scrapbooking. So I started designing for that. I ended up in a very popular shop at the time, did very well in it and got seen by a scrapbooking company, signed with them. About six months later, decided to send out little booklets to all of the quilting fabric manufacturers to see if I could get a fabric line. I actually at the time started with Northcott. And so I designed for them for a little while before I moved over to Riley Blake. But during the last 15 years of owning Karina Gardner Inc., I've always done a mixture of designing and teaching. And actually the thing I do now that I have built the kind of design business that I really wanted is I do teach a program called Design Suite, which we consider like a postdoc of the design program because we're more interested in teaching people how to build design businesses than just designing. We teach design, of course. We teach fabric design, scrapbooking design, everything silhouette design. But the goal is to teach people how to become financially free using these things that we teach them so that they can become designers that actually make money. So yeah, that transition was into digital scrapbooking of all things. And then it took me into scrapbooking and then it took me into fabric. And I've been in all of those realms in one form or another for the last 15 years, along with some other things. I do clip art now as well, art prints, wallpaper, and several other entities. But yeah, I love the design world and I love designing for the fabric and the crafting industries. Now with the classes that you offer, is there a certain time of year that people sign up for that or how do they find out about that? We have a couple of ways that people can find out more about it. The first is I do these design boot camps. They're not very much money, like $27 kind of thing, where it's a week long workshop where I teach what we teach, and then we will open up an enrollment period. Those can happen once every couple of months or so. So if you go to my website at KarinaGardnerCourses.com, you can click on Design Bootcamp and see when that's happening. The other thing we have is a free workshop. If you go to KarinaGardnerCourses.com slash free training, there's a workshop that you can sign up for. It's about an hour and a half long. I teach about the three myths in the design world. And then I do tell you a little bit about Design Suite, which is our program. We don't offer courses individually. We have 17 courses in our program, but it is a program. We don't offer one-offs. We're there to teach holistic design, which is what I did at the University of Minnesota. So do you give a certificate with that? We do have a certification program. Yes, it's usually the upper program. So the main program is just to get you through, make sure that you're doing good. And then we have upper tier programs after a year you can sign up for that will help you build the kind of portfolio you want to and get certification. Wow, that sounds great. And you also have a podcast. Tell us about your podcast. I do have a podcast and Paula was so nice and came onto my podcast, which was super fun. My podcast is called Make and Design with Karina Gardner. And we talk about design. So I will have other fabric designers on, creative directors on in both the scrapbooking, silhouette, cricket, sawgrass, sublimation, fabric worlds, and kind of mix it up. My little sister, Sweetem, is our Etsy coach in our program. She'll come on once in a while and she is awesome. She just knows so much. But we're there to teach about confidence and design because they go hand in hand and it just makes it really fun. 
Most recently, I've been talking on the podcast most about my book. I know this podcast episode isn't coming out for a couple months after my book has launched, but we have been talking a lot about the book because the book really consolidates some of the models and step-by-step things that I teach to help people become great design business owners. That's great. And share the name of your book. The name of the book is Design, Profit and Prosper, and it's available on Amazon. Great. Anything else about your business? I will say this. People always think, Krita, how do you do it all? And I'm here to tell you, you don't do it without a team. And I have a team of amazing people behind me who help me do all the things we've got going on because I still run a design business. We still are designing. In fact, if anything, we're probably coming out with more than we ever have before. We've just released a whole bunch of wallpaper collections, released a whole lot of new artwork. And at the same time, we have this very massive program where we're teaching women to do exactly what I do in order to make money and to make them great designers in their own rights. And so that takes a lot of hands. There are a lot of people involved to make something like that go. Most people see only me. So they see that I'm the face of the company, but that's just not the case. There are lots of design coaches behind me and operations manager and people making this whole thing go so that we can help lots of people achieve their dreams. That's great. Yeah, there's always more people involved and always such details that we never see in something like that. It's so true. Is there anything about your business that you specifically would like to tell quilters about? You know, a lot of people come to me because they want to become fabric designers. I think that everyone thinks that is like the main goal and it's just super duper fun. But one of the things I think you and I have already discussed here is that quilting isn't the only thing I do. And there's a reason for that because fabric designers don't make any money (laughs) and people don't realize that. So... If you love fabric design, there's so many ways to explore the idea of design and even the way we build fabrics and make money off of it that's not becoming a fabric designer. So many people want to be a fabric designer. It's harder than ever to become one. I've tried helping a few people become one. We have fabric designers actually in my program, but it's just really hard. In fact, I actually think one of the best things you can do is just become a great designer. And then eventually you'll get something like a fabric contract if you're a really good designer. Fabric was the third thing I got into. I was in digital scrapbooking and scrapping booking before I ever got into fabric. So I have a lot of people who end up in my boot camp saying, I want to be a fabric designer. And I love people going after their big dreams. I want them to go after their big dreams. But most people don't understand the kind of work it takes before you can actually hit those big dreams. And I love to give people a reality check on that so that they have the ability to achieve it, right? If you have no idea what it takes to get there, then you'll never go there. And so that's one of the things I try to teach is just really how good of a designer we've got to make you, which we can make really good designers in order to achieve those kinds of dreams. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being on A Quilter's Life today. I so appreciate you sharing with me and I loved hearing your story. Thanks for having me on, Paula. Uh Uh-huh. Bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com 
or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening. Thank you.